Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. We're like the Ninja Turtles of creating a sustainable, independent business. I could barely get through that. The bad guys, Shredder and his Foot Clan, want to get you doing sleazy things. They want to make a bunch of money selling you, quote, secrets to business. But the Ninja Turtles give it to you straight up with style, honesty, hunger, dedication, and as they flex their unique fighting styles, a few inside jokes here and there. You know the TMNT like to keep it fun. Your hosts are Corbett Barr. He's like uh, Leonardo, the Ninja Turtle, uh, the leader. The other guys may talk a bigger game, but he's the only one with a weapon that can actually cut. Yes, that's right, the samurai sword. Caleb Wojcik, he's Donatello. Book smart, digs purple, can throw down on some Foot Clan with his long, hard, and skinny bow staff. And me, Chase Reeves. I'm like Michelangelo, lazy, undisciplined, easily distracted. But don't let the one-liners fool you. There's a rage monster in there ready to shell-shock the schnitzel out of Shredder with his nunchuckos. Also, I really like pizza. It is audience. I'm glad that's over with. It's audience month here at the Sparkline and the Fizzle Show. Uh, the Sparkline is our blog. Did you, did you know that? Fizzle.co slash Sparkline. Anyways, it's audience month. Here's what I see happen so often. Someone gets the idea and they get crazy excited. They start dreaming and scheming and a year later, they put out a thing and crickets. Nobody cares. Nobody's paying attention. The difference between that experience and a successful product is defining and understanding who your audience is. Because when you know who you're making it for, you know what to make for them. And in the next two episodes, you're going to be hearing from some experts. These are actually folks just like you who've been doing it for longer, simply, and have some success under their belts, and in some cases, a lot of success. And you'll hear their answers to this question. What kinds of things did you do to discover who your audience is and what their actual struggles are? Then in the second bit of the show, Corbett, Caleb, and I will jump in and share some of our experiences on what makes a good and bad audience. There's a few ways to tell the difference and a few considerations you should know about. Fizzleshow.co slash 49 if you wanted to go to the show notes and follow along at home. I'll be back after this to fill in any gaps, so let's get into it. Here's Rob Walling founder of getdrip.com and blogger at softwarebyrob.com. Are you there, Hello. sir? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? I can. What are uh, you doing? Oh, man, that feels good. Look at that. Here's what I'm curious about, Mr. Rob Walling. Um, you're a guy who's starting a lot of things. You're doing a lot of stuff. You've done a lot of stuff. Uh, on the Spark Line this month in the Fizzle Show, we're talking about defining an audience. So define it, and in, and, in, and in whatever startup speak or bootstrapper speak, it's customer development or something like this, right? Um, where we as the entrepreneur figure out who we're going to make our thing for. And my question to you is, uh, what have you done in the past to define who your audiences have been for your things? Well... Yeah, having done a lot of things, I've done it a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the easiest one was when I stumbled into an audience by starting a blog, hmm. Software by Rob, years ago. And then 
once I realized the kind of the value of that community and how much I valued their input and being mm -hmm. around them, then it was a doubling and tripling down on that same audience, right? Because then it was yeah. MicroConf, same audience. The, the podcast, same audience. Micropreneur Academy, same audience. I mean, it was, that was the, that was a really, you know, eye-opening thing to me to kind of stumble into. So I think that's where the blogging, I mean, that's where the whole meme of, you know, a lot of, of people giving advice these days say, well, just start a blog. And I, it can work actually, you know, it's, mm. it may not work in every case, but I think it's reasonable. Um, I think there's the other side of it though, you know, where it's like, if you're really going after a B2B audience, um, that's not necessarily going to, going to work as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, gosh, I'm trying to think of how else I've done it because, you know, drip, drip is, I kind of started by marketing it to the, the folks who are already who, whose ear I already have, yeah, because I have the audience. Um, I'm expanding outside of that, but I'm doing that using traditional you know, content marketing, SEO, and paid acquisition. So I didn't, I didn't really actually. You know how I defined it? Facebook mm. ads. That's actually that's how I did it with Drip. Huh. I, I use a lot of Facebook ads and landing pages and look at at trends. You know, so you can separate. The nice part about Facebook is it's not action based not intent-based because Google AdWords is intent-based, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Facebook is demographic-based. Yeah. And so I can pretty easily say, well, I only want startup founders in this thing and I'm going to send them to this landing page with this message. Mm. And I'm going to try four different headlines with startup founders, see which one gets the most engagement. I'm going to try four different headlines with email marketers, four different headlines with info marketers. Those are kind of the three audience I tested early on. Yeah. And that's, but see, I'm a data guy, right? You and I are all, probably opposite in the way we yeah. do things, right? Mm -hmm. I'm very left and you're very right brain. And both, both, uh, obviously can work it's just a different different approach to it so when you uh were looking at the facebook ads i can almost imagine that being just helpful for you defining this audience even in your own head just seeing what's available just seeing yes. what kind of things you can segment this absolutely. population by absolutely and three months ago four months ago when i really started diving into facebook ads for drip i was running some before when i had a landing page and i was getting signups but when i really started digging in and i said i'm gonna up this thing to you know a, a four like a mid four figure spend a mm -hmm. month so i'm mm -hmm. really gonna double down on it i still i had this piece of paper and i was like who the hell am i trying to communicate to and with what message and yeah. i looked at i looked i was sending startup traffic like startup founder traffic to pages that were saying things like epic email automation and it's like startup founders don't give a shit about that yeah. why am i doing that like it was this disconnect in my own head and that's when i realized oh i really have these three distinct groups and they really have three you know some distinct needs a little bit of overlap but not as much and so yeah it brought me a lot of clarity on on who i was talking to and how i should talk to each of those groups so i imagine there's this moment where you're like kind of a kid in a in a playground going through all the Facebook sort of things that you can segment by or yes. that you can categorize people by. Um, That's right. But how do you keep from just fiddling with that nonstop? <laughs> uh, that's, a good, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> it's a good question because you, you could easily do that. I think it's, it's like with any... It's kind of like, you know, you're going to publish a blog post. Yeah. Are you going to, you could fiddle with that blog post nonstop for the next week. And when I first started blogging, I did that. I would go back and reread that blog post and I would fiddle and fiddle and fiddle. When we first started recording the podcast, I would re-edit the same podcast episode hmm. because it just wasn't quite right. You just, you learn to ship, you know, mm -hmm. you learn to kind of get over that hump. And I think that's, that's what I've done with, um, 
with paid acquisition. It's to realize, man, I really, whether you, if you need a constraint on it, then do a Pomodoro, you know, to say, I have 25 minutes to set this whole thing up. Yeah. And then I only have 25 minutes a day, you know, or, or limit yourself somehow. And you would, you off, would you spend 25 minutes a day fiddling with your Facebook ad, wouldn't you? You'd okay. be like, that's limit. I need a whole lot. I need to limit myself. How much? Doesn't it sound awesome though? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know it doesn't. <laughs> it's like pulling teeth. Uh, yep. Like you said, you, you're like, I don't have spreadsheets. And that's exactly what this is. You know? Total. These are for guys who like to spread sheets yeah. big time. Awesome, man. Thanks, dude. All right, dude. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Here's Pat Flynn, founder of smartpassiveincome.com. What's up, dude? All right. Here's my question for you, sir. So you're, you're making a handful of different like products, like the food truck thing. Uh, you've done a lot of the uh, niche site stuff. You've obviously right. got all the, pa- the smart passive income stuff. Well, my question to you is, as someone who makes things, what kind of process do you have in play, if any, to define your audience a bit before you make something for them? Uh, I call people. You call people? Yeah. So, like, what do you mean? Like, you have someone in mind and you say, like, oh, I bet Terry would have a good idea about this. No, I, I, I think about a topic, and typically it's based off of, in the past, keyword research. Okay. So I do keyword research, I find out what, you know, what is being searched for, what topics are hot, and might be, based on my own opinion, are underserved in, in, a, in a particular niche. And then I go out there and talk to that target audience. I go find competitor sites and talk to people who are, you know, not those people who are creating those sites, but the people that they're targeting. And I either talk to them or try to get a hold of them in any way possible. Some, sometimes people that I know, uh, people I know, because I knew people who were going to start food trucks, and I talked to them about what their biggest pains are, or talking to existing food truck owners and asking them, well, what what was difficult about what you did, huh. or what do you wish you knew before you started. So actually, talking to people who would have or will use the potential solution that I'm going to build, whatever it might be. That's why for food trucker. There's a podcast on it too, because mm. most people on a food truck they spend 16 to 18 hours on a truck and aren't able or don't have time to read very often. Yeah, so they prefer listening to podcasts and they love and they love it and they're sharing it and it's cool. And I wouldn't have known that if I had like talked to them. And they, they didn't even know what a podcast was, but you know when I was like, oh, you know, it's like an audio file or an audio show that you can like a radio show you can subscribe to. Yeah, they're like oh yeah. Totally, like that's not, that makes perfect sense. If I had just send an email, you know, it'd be a lot of back and forth where people would just be tired of that conversation. You can get a ton more information in five minutes on a conver- on a phone call than you know, email over a couple of weeks. Oh, I like that. So you had so for the specific example of food trucker, you had the idea of making this thing for food truck owners, uh, and you knew one or two people. You gave them a call, asked them what's what's what sucks about this. What do you wish you had? What you know? Where where, where did you skin your knee the hardest? And these sorts of things. Right. I ask them these sorts I of questions. I actually had I actually emailed about four hundred people to get on a phone call with them. Really? So and how I did you? Where did you find the list of four hundred? Most of those people were existing food truck owners, and that was scraped through Google searches and hiring a VA to help Got find it. those uh, contacts for you. Got it. Okay, so you're doing search, uh, and are you focus- were you focusing that on all of San Diego, or were you going all over the world? All over. All okay, over. so just searching for food truck, grabbing people's names and numbers if you can find it, giving them a, and then giving them a call. 
Or actually, you right. said you were you were emailing them a bunch first. Emailing them first because I, I needed to get their phone number and tell them about what I was doing, and get them interested. Oh, that's wild. The okay. Inter- the interesting thing was, like, actually, I got I I emailed twenty or I, I emailed about four hundred food truck owners, and I got about twenty responses, which is you know fairly decent, I guess. Yeah. As far as cold emailing, but then I followed up with the people who didn't respond. And I said, hey, just one more time, a reminder for you in case you missed it. For whatever reason, I got an additional 50 responses from that follow-up, oh. emailing the same people. Wow, yeah, because it's kind of interesting that, that cold, call, I mean, quote-unquote quote, cold email, right? Landing in someone, hey, well, this guy wants to make a thing, whatever. And then you get back in touch again with probably a little bit more info. And yeah, they kind of don't have anything to lose. No, that's an interesting point, like not giving up on the one. Um, okay, let's see. Then uh, what, I mean... It sounds like that, like you mentioned the podcast, you wouldn't have done the podcast if you wouldn't have talked specifically to these people and heard exactly why they wouldn't be on some blog somewhere or necessarily searching for stuff. They're not those kind of people. But um, what, is there, was there any other big sort of insight that you got from this for the food trucker? Well, I think, I mean, for food trucker, it was uh, a specific keyword that I found that was had low competition. That keyword was food trucks for sale. Yeah. And then after doing further research, you know, I discovered that food trucks in general were being underserved. Even though that particular keyword was the sort of target keyword I found in Google that <clears throat> had nobody targeting it and there was no sites about it. You know, I felt like personally, and after talking with people as well in that industry, that uh, a site about just selling food trucks, you know, not very useful without all that other information about what what goes along with buying a food truck? Yeah. Of, yeah. Of oh man, awesome. Um, so key, keyword research had, was like the start of it, uh-huh. and and then I and, and that was like validation to keep going and, and doing further research. Yeah. What tool uh, are you using for keyword research these days? Longtail Pro. Okay. And you just get in there and you start fiddling around with words and seeing what the results are for each one and and what. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you put a seed keyword in, and my seed keyword was food truck. Mm-hmm. And then it spits out like 800 related keywords in and around that, that niche, um, and it gives you the keyword results for them. Whether there's you know how many searches there are for each, how many you know what the competition is like for each of those keywords, yeah. and then you can filter out the ones that seem to be you know not searched for very often or too competitive. Yeah, someone else I was talking to mentioned uh, one of the things they do for uh, customer development or defining your audience is doing a lot of Facebook ad, just sort of like clicking around and... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Where are you? What Sorry. are you getting, by the way? I'm at Ralph getting breakfast for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The Flynn's rarely cook at home. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do cook a lot more now. Do you really? And we're going, we're going to a co-working system. Yeah, because we, we got the new home. Yeah, that's right. So we have a lot more room. Yeah. We had like no kitchen. You did not have a big kitchen before. God, that was so funny. All of us crammed in that kitchen. <laughs> so fun. You making bulletproof coffee? Coffee, rather? Oh, that's fun. No. Oh, no. I miss those days, Pat. I miss them. <laughs> I know. You got to come back to town and maybe bring the family. We can all hang out. I want to see the new place. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, have you ever done any fiddling with like Facebook ads, like their whole system for targeting and segmenting audiences? Has that ever been helpful for you for defining an audience, or has it really just been uh, mostly keyword research stuff? Well, keyword research for helping find where they're where an audience might be. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then talking to them to define that audience. Okay. Understand who they are, 
um, you know, put put a voice to the audience, you know, and I can pinpoint specific people I've spoken to when I write posts or when I, you know, create a podcast, for example. But Facebook ads, I know, are very powerful. I don't use them as much. I've used them on a couple occasions, mainly to validate subtitles for books and ebooks. Yeah, like totally. You know, just whatever gets the highest click. Yeah. What I uh, Alrighty, buddy. Well, uh, have fun with the breakfast at the Ralphs. I know they they make sensational breakfasts. So uh, amazing breakfast! You really yeah. you really picked a winner there, pal. <laughs> Thanks, All right, man. Thanks so much. Here is John Lee Dumas of EntrepreneurOnFire.com. John Lee Dumas, I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the line right now. <laughs> Are we live? We're, we're, we're a little <laughs> okay. bit live. Um, two things. Uh, Number one, I am. I'm still. I'm in the middle of the founder story that Caleb did with you, but it's really good. It's really good to hear you. your backstory and how you failed at this and you failed at that and how you weren't good at this and you were uninspired mm-hmm. there. Uh, and, I'm a quitter. and you're how you're a quitter and super lazy and like I never had a job growing up and all that stuff. <laughs> and uh, but no, it does provide a bit of a context for the for the be inspired message that you've really landed on. And uh, I don't know, it makes it a little more real. I like it. I really dig it. I'm glad. I'm really glad you did it. Thank you. Um, I enjoyed immensely sitting down with Caleb. I will say the only thing it could have improved on my perspective was sitting next to you. A little angel demon in a cup. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. And I, actually, I was hoping you were actually shirtless. I was really hoping that you were shirtless, and then you weren't. And then I was like, okay, well, at least he's shoeless. And nope, not even that. You've got your shoes on on the couch. You've got your shoes on on the couch, and it was like a scene from a Dave Chappelle episode that I won't quote here, but I love it so much. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. You're a guy who's building things. You've built out products, for, uh, membership communities. You've uh, you've obviously built Entrepreneur on Fire, this uh, massive podcast. What my question for you is, is what kind of things did you do to discover who your audience is and what their actual struggles were and, and these sorts of things? Great question. I really felt so lucky that I stumbled upon Derek Halpern pretty early in my journey and no, I was kind of at one of his early blog world speeches and he yeah. said, you know, listen, I get thousands of emails on a monthly basis, but I still take the time to respond to a number of them that, you know, really do actually take the time to write something of context and value, like replying to them, what are you struggling with? So from day one, Chase, I was with every single person. I was getting like three email signups a day, you know, day one. So I was yeah. responding to every single person. Hey, really appreciate you reaching out. And you know, this is the beautiful thing about a podcast is that when you first launch a podcast, I mean, it's obviously you're so new as an entrepreneur now because that was all I have, but you still have the perception of kind of being a bigger deal because you have a show and especially back then podcasts is still even a little more like barriers were in place and not everybody had one. Yeah. But they were just like assuming that I had this huge audience, which I didn't. And they were assuming I was getting a ton of emails, which I wasn't. So I was like, Hey, listen, I really was touched by your email specifically. I can just ask you a couple questions. You know, how do you find the show? Why do you listen? And like, what are you struggling with right now? And I literally asked every single person that emailed that signed up for my email list in the first two months, which were you know only hundreds of people. It wasn't even that many people. Yeah. 
but the information I got back was priceless about how they were finding me and about what they were struggling with. And that's when, you know, I never start, you know, started this whole thing to become like a podcasting guru to teach podcasting. I never thought that was going to happen. I thought I was yeah. just going to like barely know how to podcast <laughs> and then figure it out along the way. But everybody was just like, I just love what you're doing, John. I want to know how to do what you do. And I'm like, well, I guess I really better figure out how to do what I do. Yeah. And that's kind of where like my whole podcasting, like, courses and books and masterminds came from. Ooh, I like it. So mostly just through the email of what are you struggling with right now? Totally. That was it. I mean, that was it. It was that simple. I got about a hundred percent response rate from those emails I was sending out to people. Cause again, you know, I was only getting a couple a day. I was responding in, you know, not just with the, the Derek, the Derek Halpern one liner, but just with, you know, a couple solid lines. I was using the, the, uh, the tool Vocaroo, Huh. which I love. And I, I still use to this day, which just allows you to press a button and quickly record an MP3 and then just, you know, uh, attach it to any single um, email you're sending yeah. in no time flat. And that was huge because they were like, okay, that's not his VA. This is actually John talking to me. Like I'm going to respond. And that was everything. Wow. Look at you go. That's, that's a, that's a great answer. Uh, I think that's, I think I've just tapped the, uh, the entrepreneur on fire, John Lee Dumas, uh, depths of your wisdom on developing your audience and defining who they are and what they struggle with. It's so simple, but still nobody does it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Turkey. Well, man, thank you so much. I, uh, I, uh, I'm appreciating this. Well, I appreciate you, Chase. I appreciate what you guys do with Fizzle and with Founder Stories and everything. So, uh, you know, let me know how I continue to support you. All right. Well, it looks like in the avatar I'm looking at right now, I just wanted to let you know your arms are on fire. Uh, Just (laughs) find some f***ing water or something because you look like you're literally burning. John, can you feel the pain? Is everything okay? (laughs) Everything's fine. All right, man. See you. Peace. Here's Tara Gentili of TaraGentili.com. Hello? Hello, Miss Tara Gentile. Can you hear me okay? I can. How are you? I'm well. How do I say your last name? Is it Gentili? Gentili. Gentili. Like Chantilly Lace? Uh, Sorry, I need to lie down for a second. That's a (laughs) little steamy. That's a little... Come on, this is a G-rated show. Let's keep it clean. I know. Okay, so here's my quick question for you. Uh, you're someone who makes products, who has a real brick-and-mortar store. You're someone who works with clients, and you've built a lot of stuff. My question is, how have you, in any of these projects, defined the audience that you're actually going to make these things for, figure out what their pain points actually are, and things like that? <laughs> That's a little question? <laughs> just a little, short little, uh, just a quick question. Yeah, so I actually have a whole process that I use behind that, um, that uh, oddly enough is called the customer perspective process. Oh. Um, <laughs> so um, the, the, what I do is try to dig into the social information that I have behind uh, with the people that I'm trying to serve. So essentially... Um, what I believe is that we spend way too much time and energy and effort um, generalizing based on kind of um, analytical data. So in, in, instead of thinking about who these people really are, we try, you know, because business seems like it should be hard, right? Um, we try and 
teach ourselves all these new skills. Like I'm going to learn how to do customer surveys and I'm going to learn how to mine Google analytics and I'm going to learn keyword research and all of this stuff to try and create an ideal client profile. When instead um, we have very social brains that understand people at an incredible level without, um, without doing all that extra stuff. Not that any of those things are bad. It's just, I, I think, um, we spend too much time on it. So what I do is I go small first and I think about individual people. Who is the one person I know that has this problem or what is the, what is this one person that I really want to help and what problems do they have or what tasks are they trying to complete or what milestones are they trying to achieve or what questions are they asking and what does that tell me about them? Uh, what does it tell me about the way they uh, think or act or feel? Um, and how can I harness that information to both construct products that sell easier and marketing and sales messages that help me communicate more clearly to those people? Um, and so that's the basis of how I build out every single thing that I offer. Um, and then all of the messaging and marketing and content and branding that goes along with it. Wow. So, okay. So let me see if I'm hearing this, this right. First of all, we're making too many assumptions based on some sort of like large, uh, analytics data set somewhere, whether that be some, you know, whatever keyword research or some sort of survey stuff. And instead you're opting in for focusing on an individual, actually getting some headway with them, finding out exactly what tasks and questions that they're heading towards or asking and things like that. Am I hearing this correct? Absolutely. So um, I like to think of it as flipping the sales funnel. So the typical sales funnel, we get um, as many people as possible in at the top, and then we kind of work those people through till we get like that core group that's going to buy our most profitable product, for mm. instance. Yeah. And so I flip that around and I focus on one or two or three people that I call my virtual focus group. Um, And I think about the pattern, like the social patterns that I'm seeing with them. How do they want to feel? What things are they trying to achieve? Um, What frustrations are they currently dealing with? Hmm. And then I build out things, uh, the products, marketing messages um, that scale based on an individual's problem or desire. Hmm. Um, So... Yeah, so the top of the funnel end up, ends up being really pointy and the bottom of the funnel ends up being pretty wide because what I know is that, and what I think that most people that create products that scale know, is that if one person has a very particular problem that we can identify and really understand at a foundational level, then lots of people have that problem. Um, and so that I, I want to really understand what that problem is from one person's perspective, because that one person's perspective is going, I can multiply that multiple times. I can find thousands of people that feel the same way about that one thing. Now here's my, here, here's my hunch. Cause I feel exactly the same way. Like I can't, I can't, I just can't find a way to care. Uh, about <laughs> about anything until I see like the one person in it yes. and like what's at stake for them and what the pain is, what the darkness is, what the light, all this other stuff, right? Um, but I know I have some other friends who literally operate only in data sets. Like they're they just they all they they don't feel comfortable unless there's a spreadsheet open on a monitor somewhere. They don't really they don't under they don't, it's like they don't have the emotional intelligence or something mm-hmm. that that I think 
I would probably, I, I'm like, I have zero regular intelligence and all just whatever, mo- emotional intelligence. I just cry a lot. I listen to The Cure, shave my arms, and cry every morning when I wake up. So uh, I guess you could say I'm extremely intelligent emotionally. <laughs> but, but I wonder if this is... You just call that emo. Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's true. I'm literally, mascara is running down my face right now. I haven't been able to wash my face yet. But uh, I wonder if there if there isn't, I mean, it's clearly there there people are making successful businesses doing this a bunch of different ways, you know? Um, but at the same time, and so maybe what's most important is finding the way that, cause I know you, you work with people around this particular problem, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. This is like the foundational way I work with people. So how, I mean, do you see people doing it different ways? Um, well, I make my people do it my way. You are, you're like, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but if you want to live in this kingdom, you shall honor the queen. That's right. Exactly. And I mean, I attract people that that's the attractive way to do it, totally. that that's the way that makes the most sense. And there's, I mean, there's still a learning process to it. Um, but once we get to a certain point, it always just clicks like, okay, I get it. You mean I only have to think about one person? Yes. You only have to think about one person. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that person. Um, you know, I think, uh, analysis and data and, you know, big data, I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I think there is lots you can learn from that. Um, but I think that if you're building a business from that, uh, and only that, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, that kind of market research is expensive. That kind of da- data analysis is expensive. And it's not always expensive in terms of money. Um, a lot of times it's expensive in terms of time and energy. Mm. So, you know, if you're a data analyst and you have all those tools at your disposal, it still takes you time and energy. Whereas most of the time with my clients, when I ask them to think about a specific person or a couple people that have really turned them on in their businesses or with, you know, with the, whatever it is they're, they're passionate about, um, we get to answers really fast and with a lot less effort. Um, sometimes there's some pulling teeth around just like, no, really one person, fo- let's focus here sure. people. Yeah. Um, but really when it, when, when that happens, when we lock it in, we get to an answer super fast. And then, um, that answer tends to, you know, we use it multiple times. So we'll use it in the headline of the sales page. We'll use it to create the, the product outline from, we'll use it to create a launch series. We'll use it to, um, you know, create the, the, um, uh, kind of corresponding blog posts or whatever. And so we get one answer, we use it multiple times, and it ends up being a really fast and easeful process. Ooh. So if people wanted to learn more about this process and going through it with you, where would they go? Um, well, the best place to go is actually terragentilly.com slash map because they can get a, a free tool, um, which is the perspective map that is sort of like, it's my go-to tool part of this and then from there you can learn more information about the customer perspective i think i'm gonna go get that right now too yeah slash map that's it and and you spelled gentilly as in the gentile gentile as in you're not a jew you're a gentile exactly wow this is great (laughs) i see all these mnemonic devices i'm just helping myself and my (laughs) listeners learn all about it yeah you didn't even know you were going to be on this podcast right now did you no, but I'm so glad that this was the question because I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tara. You're so welcome. Thanks, Chase. Here's Jason Glaspie of jasonglaspie.com and paleoplan.com. <clears throat> if it isn't my favorite bathrobe uh, CEO, Jason Glaspie from paleoplan.biz.info.org. 
Com. Hey, Uncle Tonk, here's my question. You're a guy who builds things. You built a lot of things over your days. Uh, some of them failed. Some of them were wildly successful. Uh, what have you done in the past, uh, or maybe some lessons learned from trying to define your audience, as in who you're going to make this thing for, what problems they actually have that you can solve, where the pain points are, etc.? I've actually been thinking about this a lot because I'm starting a new project uh, that's somewhat of a departure from my existing uh, projects. And one of the things that I've been doing is trying to find the right size of audience or target demographic or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we're tempted to do is pick either too small or too big of an audience. Yeah. Um, and then we either too small and doesn't matter if our product or product's perfect it's not going to be enough people to matter as a business or too big and you're going to have no access to them as a person and therefore you're just going to be um, lost, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think about that, uh, you posted something a couple of weeks ago about, uh, and I can't remember the guy who said it, but it was about, you know, don't just be an expert in Star Wars, be an expert, expert in Jawas. Oh yeah, that's Merlin you know? Mann. Yeah, know everything about that one Jawa and like be the expert that you know people go to for him. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think about that a lot in terms of when I'm trying to figure out, you know, hey, do I have a project? Do I have an audience? You know, am I solving a problem that is for a, a population that I can actually uh, get to? You know, like yeah. if they're looking for a solution, are they going to ever find me? And so sometimes I've actually chosen a pretty large audience, but in those cases, I quit thinking about the end customer as the audience, and I start looking for people who have access to that audience, and I make that person in the middle my audience. Wait, say so, that again. First of all, I'm kind of stuck on this uh, idea of if they are looking for a solution to this problem, will they ever find me? I think that's a really good question, a really good way of phrasing it because it's a hard question to answer in some ways because it gets you thinking about like how will someone who you don't already know end up finding this will it be through google or some tweet or some something or other and it gets you thinking that way so i was stuck on that thinking about wow this guy's really brilliant and then you said something else and i felt like that was the key to the whole thing and then i, I didn't have it all right well um <laughs> all right <laughs> let me go back to what you were originally talking about i think that um I have friends who I have a friend who's working on a project. She, it's a meal plan project, very similar to Paleo Plan, and I've been kind of helping her out for the past two years. And it's in a, just a saturated uh, vertical where there's a lot of people giving content and products for that solution. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if anyone else is providing meal plans. Anyone who's trying to provide a solution for people who eat that way mm. are in some ways a competitor because they're all vying for this tiny mind space or search effort that their uh, demographic is searching for. So I used to say, you know, people are like, you know, there's no one really doing exactly what I'm doing a paleo plan, but anyone who's trying to sell something to someone who eats paleo is technically a competitor because we're all desperately trying to get just a few eyeballs and there wasn't that many eyeballs in the beginning. And yeah. so anyone who is a distraction from my message was a competitor even if their product was very, very different. Hmm. Which, 
led me to the next step. And the advice that I gave this girl was, um, you know, you just can't find a voice in this audience. You have a beautiful website, a beautiful product. Your recipes are fantastic. Your photography is gorgeous. Like you have done nothing wrong in providing amazing content that could people, people could find value in. Yeah. But the problem is, is that there's just too many people providing great products whether they're like yours or not, they're all vying for the same eyeballs. And those people are overwhelmed and they're not searching hard enough to ever find you. Yeah. Hmm. So I said, you know, what if you quit trying to compete with these people who have similar but not exact products? Like find the people where your product is a natural uh, fit and go to them and be like, you know, hey, maybe there's a blogger out there who really, really speaks to this person who's been speaking to this group for five years they're very trusted, but they don't have a product like yours, partner with them. And suddenly you can gain their audience. And this blogger suddenly gains your product. And if it's a great product, you'll be able to find great bloggers who are interested in offering that to their members. Hmm. And maybe it's a one-time sale, or maybe it's a lifetime uh, partnership, and you actually rebrand your product from the ground up to be a partnership with this person. Like, who knows? But you're having a really hard time finding an audience, so quit struggling to find an audience and take a great product to an existing audience. And maybe you make less money per product sold, hmm. but you'll have the opportunity to sell maybe thousands more products, Yeah, which that's a great problem to have. Hmm. So um, when you were building Paleo Plan, who was it that you had in your head uh, that this product was for? Originally, I thought our biggest uh, users would be CrossFitters hmm. because um, CrossFit was definitely one of the early widespread voices that were promoting paleo plan mm-hmm. or pa- the paleo diet. Yeah. And CrossFitters typically at that time, you know, it was a very small, it was a much more small sect. Those tended to be um, early to mid twenties, maybe early thirties. They were, and professionals or like, you know, uh, firefighters or something. They were busy individuals with a very busy life. Yeah. Um, they were committed to their health. They were already used to paying a monthly fee to get exceptional health. They were showing up every day, even when it was hard. And they were very, very used to a sp- prescribed uh, regime or, mm-hmm. you know, setup. So they would show up and every CrossFitter in that gym was going to do the same workout. Yeah. They were like, well, that's not the workout I feel like doing today. Yeah, this one, this doesn't really talk to my soul the way that I was thinking I could maybe sub this uh, bell pepper recipe in for, and that would really talk to me more. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, I think that these guys are busy. They want to solve a problem. They're not afraid to pay money for a product, and um, they're used to someone else saying, do this workout, you'll be strong. Yeah. Eat this food, you'll be healthy. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed to make a lot of sense. One of the problems was is those same CrossFitters are really, really busy people, and they n- not necessarily are the kind of person who sits down on the web and says, well, I'm going to find a solution to this problem I have, and I'm going to search for it for mm-hmm. an hour. Yeah, I think that when I presented it to CrossFitters, they were like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, sign me up. But they weren't actively looking for solutions to their problem. And I had a previous startup a couple of years ago that was an amazing product. I still believe in it. Still nobody doing exactly what I envisioned. But it was for a designer crowd, and these designers, yeah. they use the com- 
computer, or the designers that I have in mind, they're using the computer because it solves a problem, not because they love the computer. Yeah. I love the computer. The computer solves a problem, and it's my hobby, and it's like, you know, my, my security blanket. So yeah, yeah. I search for everything on it. And mm-hmm. I, any problem I have, I'm like, well, the computer knows the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. And my wife, she doesn't even think there might be a better way to do this. She's just like, I know how to do it. It's a pain in the ass. But my, I'm just trying to get back to the point where I have the pen in my hand and I'm designing something pretty. Yeah. That's a really rude thing to say about designers because they do much more than that. But yeah, I yeah, yeah totally. Um, so anyway, I feel like you know, sometimes we can, design, we can define an audience and even though they want it, and if you could introduce it to every single person individually, that'd be fantastic, but you can't. Yeah. You have to know if your audience is looking for something. And so I try and find, and that I think was what happened with CrossFit. They weren't lo- used to looking for the solution for this, and so they weren't finding it. The people who ended up finding it were a lot of middle-aged moms who were trying to lose some weight. And they were already kind of used to turning to the internet to find recipes. And so when they searched for a paleo recipe because someone told them you should try paleo, they came across my site because we happened to rank well for paleo recipes. And I had a really compelling message that wasn't CrossFit specific. So they were like, huh, yeah, well, this was great. Oh, uh, yeah, it makes sense to me. I'll sign up. Yeah. And so I don't think that, I still think that our audience is very much perfect. Or our product is perfect for CrossFitters. They're just not finding it the same way uh, this other audience is. And so that's tended to be part of our audience. And yeah. so I learned how, one, just because you have a product doesn't mean you have an audience. And two, just because you have an audience doesn't mean they're going to find it. And then three, you know, how do you, how do you be willing to, to switch gears really fast when you realize that you do have a right product, you just maybe need to use different language to make the audience that is finding you even more stoked. Oh, I like that. Okay, so I'm hearing, it's interesting that you've got this, uh, this really kind of, uh, I don't know, this really poignant example in Paleo Plan where you knew for sure you were going this way for these people. Might as well put a guy with a barbell on the, on the cover of the website just to say, hey, it's the, it's the, it's the CrossFit of, of recipe lists, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then what ends up happening, it's, it's interesting because in, in all of your ways of, of speaking about this stuff, you've mentioned uh, people who are searching for this. You're mentioning essentially search, right? With the CrossFit example, with even when you're talking to about the the example of the woman who had the idea and, and she was competing with other uh, other audiences and other places that existed, and I think that's a really ki- good question to ask. Like, how would these people find you? Because I mean, you could build an audience your own audience, one person at a time, one little delightful bit of, bit of text and tweet and Facebook at a time, and it's just slow going. And in five years, you've really got a thing, and you've got, you know, whatever, a thousand people you can sell a product into, and, and you know, 90 of them are going to buy it. And, and you could, you have a business now, you know? Um, but that takes, that takes a while. And what you've always done, Jason, is, is built something, and you're like, okay, let's get this into the people's hands. Let's buy up the AdWords. Let's get the keyword research in place. Let's do, let's get, let's, this isn't an audience thing. This is like a, no, people need to come and buy this now. I don't want to start blogging. <laughs> you know what I mean? To have to make sales. So that's why I was so curious about your perspective on this. And, and uh, true to form, I like, I like what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, I love the idea of blogging. And in my heart, I believe that I am a blogger. Um, but somehow my posts just never get written. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the idea of creating an audience is just really exhausting, uh-huh. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I know that you guys promote. You know, it's a it's a very 
clear path to a successful business. Yeah. Um, man, it sounds hard for me. Totally. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they don't have a clue what to say that's in a compelling way that gets people, but that doesn't mean that they can't create a great product. And, you know, so I've just found that um, I try and bypass that part because yeah. I'm really shitty at it. But there are people who are great at it, and those people are maybe terrible at creating a product. So I'm always looking for an opportunity like, hey, can I create a product for this person with this person? Yeah. They have an audience. They're great at that audience. They serve that audience so damn well. Yeah. I, on the other hand, wouldn't have a thing to tell them except maybe um, that this product is awesome because I, I do understand them. I just don't write for them. Yeah. No, I like that. All right, man. Well, uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you on the internets? Uh, JasonGlasby.com. .biz.info.org. Thanks, man. <laughs> Here is Steve Cam from nerdfitness.com. Steve yeah. Cam, are you there? Can you hear me? Do you know that I'm loving you from far, far? Oh, wow, that's like one of the worst jobs I've ever done. Like one of the <laughs> worst jobs good. I've done. I was going to see how long you were going to go with it, but that was pretty good. Then, so here's my question for you, Steve. Uh, yeah. You're a guy who's building things. You've built a lot of guides, a lot of you even built apps and stuff. You've created a massive site at Nerd Fitness and all this other stuff. Well, my question oh, to you is, what work do you do, if any, to try to understand your audience more? What they actually struggle with, what they actually want, things like that. Um. The biggest thing for me, honestly, so is we, when when people uh, sign up for our, our email list, the first thing it says is, you know, hit reply on this and, and tell us what the biggest thing you're struggling with is. So that's a good start, I think, for new people. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, honestly, it's just uh, I go off of the emails that I receive, um, the things I see on our message boards, and then every once in a while, like, we'll pull people through Facebook or Twitter or, you know, send out a survey or things like that. But uh, generally, it's just kind of like, I, I just kind of look at like a general pulse of what nerd fitness is looking for mm-hmm. and then also like when i'm creating new content or or courses or products or things it's just like what are the questions that i continually get on a regular basis like mm-hmm. i don't i don't have like an official um i guess process for for figuring all this stuff out other than just kind of going by feel so where are the places where they're asking those questions uh they we, you know we get we get emails we get a lot of emails a lot of facebook um you know a lot of comments on people either emailing us on face you know messaging us on facebook or um or uh you know just people posting like hey i'm a new person on the nerd fitness message boards and this is what i'm struggling with and i have no idea what i'm doing blah blah yeah. blah so they're kind of all the messages are kind of all over the place uh we actually just brought on somebody to officially be like our customer service person mm. um because I just, we just couldn't keep up with all the different lines of communication and the amount of it. So now like we have somebody that is kind of helping us manage that, and it's been really helpful. Hmm. So if you were going to go back to Steve Cam forever ago uh, yeah. and say, Hey, Steve, uh, you're going to ruin everything and waste a bunch of time. Here's some things you should do to find out who you're, what, you're actually, what you should actually make to sell these people. Mm-hmm. What would what would you what would you tell to that, Steve? What are some um, insights you would give him or her? Sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> who told you? <laughs> um, I think honestly, I really like the idea. Like we've announced things that we weren't even finished with yet, and like kind of pre-sold them to people. You know, on limited. Like we've done like quote unquote beta. You know, we did like a beta launch, like the women's uh, fitness one hundred and one, and it sold. 
in way better than I ever could have expected. Yeah. And like we were finishing it kind of as as we were launching it, and you know, part of it was like started collecting emails from people on products we were thinking of launching ahead of time, um, instead of just kind of like blindly creating a product and hoping people buy it, which yeah. is kind of what I did with our our running guide, and that didn't sell nearly as well back in the day. It didn't sell as well as I thought it was going to. Compared to this fit, this women's fitness guide, was like, let's do like a beta launch. We're going to put a limited time offer on it. We'll say it's beta that we're going to improve it. Blah blah blah, and 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 see how that goes. And yeah. that did way better than anything we had done in the past. Um, so you know, kind of like you know, micro testing things almost. Like so so here's here's I'm actually in the process of trying to think of doing something similar to this right now. So like I want to create. I was going to write a blog post about adventure hacking. It's like I was just in you know, traveling for two weeks. I was in Hawaii and I get so many emails from people like, Oh dude, I want to start traveling or this is something on my list. I've always wanted to do. So now like, I'd love, you know, I was like, I write a blog post and I was like, wait a second, why don't I make like a free ebook that people can then download and like, it'll take them through like how I kind of plan all this stuff out. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll make a course out of it. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to write an article about it and then say, I'm considering creating a course around this thing and collecting emails from people or, you know, create like a separate list in Aweber from people that says like, yes, I'm interested in this and these are the things that I'm interested in learning about and then building it specifically around those things in a limited launch and improving it once people are actually paying for it. Yeah. Like working with those people that have bought it and be like, how do I make this better? I like that. Yeah, that seems to be the trend. It's interesting for all of us blogger types, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Right. We're learning some of these uh, tips and tricks and concepts from sort of the lean startup movement uh, mm-hmm. and like sort of the the bootstrapper guild of entrepreneurs or whatever where it is exactly that these small little things rather than like oh here I am and I want to say this and I bet people will like it and then somehow we end up with a successful business just because we were at the right place at the right time like total lucked out you know what I mean right. and happened to be right. the first one combining uh, these sorts of concepts together or something like that so now to in, in it's interesting because with a lot of fizzlers, I'm taking them through this process of no, let's figure out where the hole is, what the what the desire is before we figure out who you are and what you need to say necessarily. There's another option that can be a lot more likely to create a successful outcome than yeah. just, you know, hey, this is my art. I hope you like it. If you don't, then don't buy it. Whatever, bro. You know, it's like there's a big <laughs> right. difference between art and commerce that way. Um, yeah. Uh, or I, I maybe commercial art or whatever. I don't know. I struggle with the difference between them, but I think this no, is, I know, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. All right, man. So, uh, what's coming out next from nerd fitness? Uh, I guess it's a adventure hacking, uh, article. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. So we're in the process of kind of over updating and overhauling the, the nerd fitness Academy. It's, it's okay, but it's not, it's not, you know, I want to say it's like 80% of what, I, what I've expected to be able to do. And there's a lot yeah. of some technical shit we're still dealing with. And we kind of lost our, uh, web dev guy. So we're in the process of trying to track down a new guy there. Um, the big thing for me is I'm finishing up a book proposal right now, which I'm pretty excited about. Oh, and we just put camp nerd fitness on sale like a couple weeks back and, um, sold out the first third of it. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And, and now really I'm just kind of trying to build out a team around, uh, you know, like they said, we brought a customer service person. We have some people helping with the Academy. We're looking to hire like a project manager to like focus on, you know, all like the day to day task management, you know, keeping people accountable, making sure there are deadlines, et cetera, et cetera, all this shit that I am just awful at and have no business doing. Yeah. Uh, so I can really focus on like the writing and um, the big picture stuff, which is what I really enjoy. And uh, hopefully 
put the right people in the right places so that it actually, you know, it, it doesn't lose what made nerd fitness great, but I, but I can still kind of grow it and make it more fun for everybody else and more fun for me. And I can impact more people on a bigger level. Wow. Sounds like a, sounds like a perfect scenario. I'm sure it'll all work out fine. And then there won't be any blood on the, on the floor anywhere. <laughs> right. I'm trying to be perfect. Just not a single issue throughout the whole thing. All right, Steve. Well, uh, I like you a whole hell of a lot. And uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Uh, seriously, I loved doing these interviews so much. I felt like I learned a ton. Uh, in fact, there's a lot more coming. In the next episode, there is a bunch more as well. But now let's switch gears, get into the second half of our episode uh, with Corbett, Caleb, and I. And stay tuned for some info on a free book we're going to release about this stuff. Maybe some of the difference is in our experience between a good audience and a bad audience to pick specifically for your your thing. I mean, have you guys, Corbett, did you have any experience ever trying to serve a bad audience or do you have to learn any lessons on this? Uh, I had a lot of experience serving no audience or not really understanding who the audience was. And uh, Hmm. this is why I love coming at this from this direction. I think a lot of people think about what's a good business idea? They always are just like, I need to find a good idea. But the only way to know if you have a good idea is to figure out who the idea is for. And that's something I didn't really get for a long time. And I, I think people are getting this a lot more because of the the whole lean startup thing. Yeah, And that really comes at it from the customer development, they call it, perspective, which is really just you know developing a picture of who your customer is so that you know who to ask whether or not your idea is good uh, or bad. And yeah. to sort of iterate in front of, so yeah, I you know I think in the the old way of doing things, you came up with an idea and put it out there and just kind of prayed that the right people found it, but you didn't necessarily know who those people were, where they hung out, how to get in touch with them, so on and so forth. So, what are the kinds of things that you have thought about uh, in in trying to nail who your audience ends up being, or maybe the difference between a good and bad audience? Well, for me, it always starts with personal interest. And I know there are some people who can build a business that they don't necessarily care about the topic too much. They just see an opportunity there. But for me personally, I have to really be interested in the topic in order to uh, put in the time and effort that it takes to actually build something that that gets traction. So it starts with personal interest. And usually if I'm interested in it, I probably already know someone else who might be interested or I, I have an idea of the kinds of people that might be interested. So, you know, it, it kind of, I don't know if that's the best way to look for a business idea or an audience necessarily, but um, it certainly makes it easier to find people because some of those people are probably friends of yours or people that you already know. Yeah, it's funny because for me, this this is the difference. I have a, a course within Fizzle called Defining Your Audience. It was the first course I ever did. It was the first thing I've ever really, really taught. Like I've written loads of blog posts, right, where they're, they're all sort of teaching something. But the first thing I really fe- felt like I could share and, and, and teach <clears throat> based off of my years designing things and uh, relatively successful things um, was this concept of defining your audience. And what I landed on is that this... This topic is the difference between sort of a side project and an actual business, at least for me and for a lot of people that I've, that I've read about and a lot of my friends that I've watched do the thing. Because a side project is, yeah, I feel like fiddling around with this. I really like the color orange, so I want to make a bunch of stuff in orange. Um, and a lot of us 
a pro like the problem is a lot of us who start our businesses pursue our businesses that way thinking that we're going to make a bunch of money from trying this thing yeah i really like the color orange and i, I think everybody else will too so i'm gonna try uh to do this and they spend you know six months or a year developing a business plan and doing all this stuff and looking at getting into the right shops and all this other stuff just based on the whim that this is going to work and everybody else is going to care about it. Um, and maybe it, what's a more helpful is thinking about this in terms of art and commerce. And, and I think we can see that as a spectrum. It's not either art or commerce. It's like on one side, all the way to the left is art. And on the other side, all the way to the right is commerce or commercial things, right? Uh, and as we fall along this, this uh, spectrum somewhere... And I don't know if the right answer is to be completely in the middle. I don't know if the right answer is to be have one foot on the left and one foot on the right. But I know that uh, if you're too far on the art side, you don't make much money. Chances are, statistically speaking, <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of how many, uh, how many artists there are and how many of them are actually making money, maybe. And Corbett, I want you to speak to that maybe because you know more since your, your wife is an artist, right? And then... Though, if you go too far on the other side uh, and you're all commercial, well, now there's, there's no soul in your thing. There's no human personality, this sort of stuff. You know what I mean? And you kind of lose traction either way. So to me, this concept of defining an audience, which is what I mean by that is, is who am I going to make this thing for? And as an artist, I'm saying, here's how I see the world. Take it or leave it. Normally, I'm, normally, <laughs> normally I, I'm, I'm saying, you, this is the reality or this is the truth or whatever. And this is my interpretation of what's going on. Uh, and I don't care what you think, man. Uh, and, and obviously that's to make a caricature of artists, right? But and on the op- opposite side, uh, it, well, on the all commercial side, it's like it's all focus groups and, and spreadsheets. And we think that the market will perform like this. And, uh, and ju- judging by our forecasting and yada, yada, yada. And there's no way to guarantee any of this is ever going to work, right? And there's something about these two things that when we think about not ourselves and what we just what we want to make we think about who's out there and has a a problem and not just they have all these kinds of problems but maybe just for right now we could say this just as one just as one problem uh maybe they have hemorrhoids maybe they have an itchy bum hole right which seems to be the one that we always go to something like this uh if they have that problem maybe i who also might indeed have that problem and see the world as an artist this particular way and found these ways to uh, to alleviate that pain. Now I don't just work for me, though, to make that art because I want to put it out to them so that I can, A, earn a living, B, hopefully not hate my job and my life the way that I'm doing working at this pink air companies or whatever I'm doing corporately. Uh, I can actually be engaged making something, feet on the floor, head a little bit in the clouds, but not so far that I'm not making any traction. All I'm saying, guys, is that this topic of defining your audience is to me the gateway drug into, oh, wait, maybe it's not all about me. Maybe a successful business is all about creating value for someone else. I I agree. I think that's a pretty bleak view of art. However, yeah, so, I want to hear. So no, absolutely. I, I I mean, I think bad art is selfish, you know, and and bad art is principally concerned with the the artist and doesn't care about anyone else. 
But there's plenty of art that's popular, and it's popular because it appealed to someone else. Now, whether or not the artist got lucky in creating something that happened to appeal to other people, or if sure. they were intentional about it, I don't know. But the same is true of business. You know, there are businesses that fail because the person that tried to create them was selfish, um, and there are businesses that go, you know, very intentionally trying to create something that. So maybe, maybe the spectrum isn't so much art versus commerce, but mm. it's more about. Um, building something for yourself versus building something for other people, yeah. And I think business and art both can fall anywhere on that spectrum. But um, and I think that the goal for us and the types of businesses that we talk about is to build something that overlaps between what you're interested in and what other people are interested in. And that's where the magic happens, and that's where happiness occurs, for me at least. There are plenty yeah. of people who are happy, I guess, building an insurance business. I don't know of anyone who actually uh, selfishly wanted to build an insurance business because they love insurance and they just love thinking about insurance. Um, but you know, that's the kind of business that you would build because it's for other people, and that's the kind of business that you might make some money with, but also you'd find yourself probably fairly bored with and realize that maybe there was a greater purpose in life than just making money. So to me, that's the spectrum being yeah, selfish it, yeah, about it, it versus like there's also a spectrum. Uh, cause it, cause it's, I guess what, it, what I was almost getting at was more like, uh, no, not, not even just revenue, but there's also a revenue spectrum, you know, one that doesn't all the way on one side. It's like, I really enjoy it, but it doesn't make, make any money on, right. all the way on the other side. It makes a ton of money and I really don't enjoy it. Yep. Um, and I don't know why that tends to be the case, Probably because we're all getting, when we really hate something, but we can make a ton of money doing it, maybe chances are it's, you know, businesses like, it's some corporation paying us to do that stuff or something. I don't, because they have more money than they know what to do with. And so they spend it all doing things that people don't like to do. Well, and you can just think about it in terms of jobs. You know, there are a lot of jobs that are fairly low paying because people all seem to like to do it. You know, Um, there's just a lot of supply of, you know, resources there of people and yeah. uh and not a whole lot of jobs. So I think the same is true for businesses. You know, if it's something really fun, if it's like I want to play video games for a living and post them on YouTube and make a gazillion dollars, there are a couple of people that do that, but there are hundreds of thousands who do it and don't make a dime, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or who would like to do it. I don't know. Caleb, what are you hearing over there? Well going back to whether an audience is good or bad, I think it's more the audience fit that you try to have. And Corby, you said that you had the no audience fit basically. And so you were (laughs) saying that you didn't quite have it figured out yet, what you needed to talk about to grow an audience or was just, you were early on and we're just getting started. You know, I, I remember really thinking about the product and the problem, but not Not really thinking about who it's for and what their situation is and why this is important and asking yourself, Mm -hmm. like we talked about in the last episode, I think about the, the five whys, you know. So why does this matter? Well, why is that true? You know, just to dig mm-hmm. into it and figure out who those people are. And so, if your audience is bad, it's your own fault. Is that kind of the conclusion? That we're yeah, I mean, the worst at? the yeah. worst audience is like no audience at all, right? Or the worst audience is no no idea of who your audience should be, because then you don't sure. know the right questions to ask about whether or not your the problem you're after is uh, is a worthwhile one to solve, and if you're solving it in the right way. Hmm. Did you just hmm block him? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I yeah. hear you, but I'm thinking, so yeah. don't talk anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I loved Barrett Brooks' text on, uh, or tweet on, on can I be the, the head of the, of the Psy contingent <laughs> of the Fizzle crew, <laughs> which I just loved. Not Psy as in, 
Hmm. But uh, Sai as in S-A-I, Raphael's weapon of choice. I wouldn't have even known where to begin to spell that word. Well, Google. Other than Google, I wouldn't have known. I don't know. What else, what, what else is there to share on this? Caleb, I liked where you were going, and then you allowed me to side block. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, you keep talking about this spectrum of, of your audience and art and commerce and stuff, and I think that there just needs to be overlap. It's, so it's not like a straight line where you end up somewhere along. I think that you're looking for this overlap between what your audience wants and the art you want to make. And right in the middle between those two is what you should be doing. Because you can focus too much on on the art like you were talking about and be heads down into that. And you can focus too much on, oh, what am I going to make a bunch of money on? But the people that are really successful find that in between usually. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And it's not to say that some people aren't uh, really fortunate in that whatever they create, it happens that other people really want that. Or they just have this innate feel for mm-hmm. what's yeah. you know what's needed in the world, and they don't necessarily have to really define the audience. But most of us don't have that, or we don't get lucky, um, and so that's why it just makes sense to sit down and really plan out who am I making this for, and try to put faces to names, and try to get inside the minds. Like we talked about last week, where Chase was reading every comment left at Think Traffic. That's really you know to get to know the audience and to have a feel for who they are. Um, so that you can define it well, as opposed to just thinking about the problem and the product itself and not really knowing who it's for. To me, that's really, you know, when you set up the, this topic saying what's a good audience versus what's a bad audience. I mean, I guess there are bad audiences out there for you, you know, not that any audience is bad necessarily, but as you think through different audiences, like, you know, for me, comic books, that wouldn't be a great audience just because I don't identify with those people necessarily, not to lose our whole comic contingent, but it just wouldn't be any contingents left pretty soon. It it just (laughs) wouldn't be a great one for me because I don't enjoy reading comics um, or talking about them. So, you know, there's, there has to be some overlap with, with who you are and and what you want to do. Um, Otherwise it could be a bad audience. The other things that I've talked about uh, in some of the fizzle courses are for example, what's the reality of this business? Like, if hmm. you if you build this business, um, let's say you know you're thinking about an audience of people who are really hungry late at night after the bars close. Okay, that there's an audience, and it might be a good one. But personally, I don't want to be running a restaurant at three in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that business reality is important as well to think about. And what does it look like if I actually build this thing and it becomes popular? And people like yeah. to talk about. Uh, quote by henry ford that's not an actual quote which is if people ask what they wanted or if i had asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses and steve jobs always talks about i know what people want they don't know what they want so you know you can go that far in the spectrum and create something that people have no idea that they want or need but you have to do something so new like but you know, even still, I you mean, can't expect to do Ford, that Ford or Jobs, they they knew who the audience was, and right. it's just that the audience didn't necessarily know what they wanted. But they, you know, they knew there were people who uh, were you know riding horses or riding in carriages or whatever, and that they Listening would be loud. Walkmans and CD players, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had a good idea of who those people were. They just created yep. something that really knocked their socks off. Yeah, it's it's interesting because those innovators are always working on something, some pre-existing uh, or content. Some something exists beforehand, like Caleb, you just mentioned, like Walkman. You know, like that existed. So it's really easy to go from Walkman to iPod. It's really hard for us to imagine, and it, beyond that, I mean, we had the MP3 players at the time. 
You know, so we think it's some brilliant innovation, but all innovations are building on previous steps. You know, and and that's sort well, of yeah, an that's important in the definition right there. I mean, to innovate is to take something existing and make it better. Is it? I'm assuming. And yeah, I without think looking so. it up, so, it sounds right. <laughs> it comes from the Latin nova, which is to, and I don't know. <laughs> and that, and that's where you have to be careful about audience definition. It's just one step of many. It's not the be all end all. Just because you have an audience yeah. defined doesn't mean that magically you have a business totally. or a really great product. Because probably if you define the audience well, it's already being served by something. So the next step is to you have to look at the competitive landscape and think about you know what's wrong with the way that this audience is being served right now. Yeah, um, like Steve. Jobs did, like you said, there were MP3 players all over the place, and people actually laughed at Apple when they came out with the iPod because it, it had been done before. There were dozens of MP3 players out yeah. there, and um, you know he figured out a way to solve the problem that people were more interested in than what was already out there. So mm-hmm. it's just one step, and then from there you have to get into the concepts that we've talked about before, like differentiation. Yeah, I think so. There's two questions I always ask about. Any audience, uh, and because and, and, uh, well, there's three questions, right? But and we spend a lot. Of, the first is who are they, uh, and we spend a lot of time on that. That's where all the fun is, really. You know, who are they? What keeps them up at night? What do they think of? What 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 challenges are they trying to overcome? What's the desire that I'm going to help them get to? That whole brand story uh, arc that I talked about last episode about a character who wants something and overcomes obstacles to get it, and how we're the Obi-Wan, the mentor, and they're the main character. I like that a lot. But there's two other questions that almost should be started with uh, in some ways, and that's can they pay and will they pay? Because some people don't have money, can they pay? And some people do have money, but won't pay for this sort of thing. You know, like my uncle has money, but he would never pay for some sort of naturopathic remedy to his sore back. He would just never pay for that. He would just drink beer and drive his tractor. That's what he would do, <laughs> you know? Um, so those two questions are sort of the classic business questions about an audience that could potentially illuminate. I mean, I've worked with lots of people uh, in Fizzle and outside, a lot of friends who are like, hey, I got this idea for this thing. And they don't do a lot of, they don't spend, a, they haven't, they just clearly just had this idea. And I'm like, okay. So they're like the, the classic examples when people want to make something for the college crowd. Because they're in college, and they're like, oh, I wish I had this. But then the classic question is like, okay, can they pay? Do they actually have money for this thing? And then will they pay for this thing? If, if, and so normally, a lot of times a business idea will fail on one or two of those questions, potentially. Of course, a whole lot of times it doesn't. But those are two little fail-safes or checks, little feedback loops that I try to ask myself about any business that, that we pursue, about any sort of project that I see my friends pursuing. And I like to be really hardline on that because we, that, that, because we assume the best. Like we assume, oh, look, I really nailed these people and what they need. And if I really get this, like if they're, they're, you know, they're totally going to pay for it. But the, the built into those, can they pay and will they pay is, is this need urgent enough? I mean, we were talking about hemorrhoids or are we talking about like, yeah, it would be nice to have something to tag and sort my MP3s, but it's not like I'm going to spend an hour on a weekend doing that. You know, so those are two questions that to me that had helped define whether or not an audience could be good or bad for this particular thing uh, that you want to build. Because don't get me wrong, uh, you can find an audience that you'd love and you want to serve and you care about greatly. And then you can make the same, pro- you can have the same problem that Steve had when I fir- originally found that comment on, on Think Traffic, which was I have over 20,000 visitors to my site every month. And I've been writing for a while. I know exactly what this takes. 
I just can't find any way to monetize this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a hard place to be because it takes a lot of work to build that site with that audience to end up realizing I just built an audience and I have a lot of I have a lot of ears and eyeballs that I I can't actually I can't figure out how to get a dollar from. And that means I have to quit this thing unless I find out how to do that. Because we're talking about making money and supporting ourselves and creating an independent living, doing something we care about. Money is a natural piece of that. We just have to figure that out. And I'm like we talked about in the money episodes, which I still think are really good conversations. I, it's always hard for me to even just come back to that. Maybe it's because I just spent too much time in the church just doing things for people because I thought it mattered, you know? But uh, but I it, we really do have to make money doing this stuff. And, and that's where this concept of a good versus bad audience, uh, it, that, and good and bad, really, really what I, I guess what I really mean to say, or maybe one way to think about that is a money, an audience, a money audience or non-money audience, I don't know, an audience so that'll money. pay for something, so money, bro. An audience that'll pay, or an audience that won't. And, and again, it's, it's an audience that'll pay for this and an audience that won't pay for this because if this is your thing. That's my, that's my two fail-safe questions. That's all I got. Anything else in closing, guys? You nailed it. Yeah, I wouldn't add anything. I think that's actually huge to know those two questions because they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have been Chase Wardham Reeves. I've been Corbett Lebar. <laughs> and I've been Caleb Logic. Thanks, guys. So there you have it. Listen, we're putting together a free book on this topic, all right, on defining and understanding your audience. Some people call them personas or avatars or ideal client or ideal reader or target markets, whatever you call it these days. Okay, we're putting together a book on how to define who those people are. Okay, insights from our guests, exercises and worksheets to help you realize and understand your audience so you can be so much more likely to make something that they're actually going to want to buy from you, okay, instead of something that fades out into crickets. Find out more and download your free copy on the show notes for this page. That's at fizzleshow.co slash 49. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 49. And by the way, that's also where you'll find, of course, the show notes for this episode. It is episode 49. We're almost to 52, which is how many weeks there are in a year, which I guess that means is our year anniversary, something like that. So there you'll find notes uh, about this episode. You'll also be able to, of course, download the book there. Please do so uh, because I think I... What I'm going to do is I'm going to have all I'm going to have notes taken on each one of those interviews in that in that book. I've already taken the notes; uh, they're just too way too long to put into the actual post. So I'm just going to put them straight into the PDF, the booklet. You can download the guide, whatever you want to call these things. I got something good for you here: an iTunes review from a person in Canada who calls themselves, and I quote, "Why is a nickname required?" There's a question mark at the end. It's kind of like that, you know, artist formerly known as Prince thing. They write, savvy businessmen giving it to you how it is in a hilarious way. I'm addicted. Job well done. Thanks. Why is a nickname required? <laughs> one of my favorite things is when I, we do like I read one of these reviews and then someone reaches out on Twitter. It's like, that was me. I was like, I was polka dot chick. <laughs> I love that stuff. So I hope... Why is a nickname required? Question mark reaches out as as well. Uh, show me your crazy name and maybe give us some love on iTunes. Could you do that? Search for the show in iTunes and click write a review and tell us what you think. Offer up your own intro and maybe we'll read it on the show. That's been a bit of a trend and I can't wait to release some of these that, that we've already got. 
All I ask is that you be yourself. We love to hear from you. And when you leave a review on iTunes for us, it does help other people find the show. More excellent interviews and conversations about this audience stuff are coming up next week in The Fizzle Show. And in the meantime, we're posting every week another article on The Fizzle blog about this audience stuff as well. So tell your friends. You, you know that's what it's all about, right? It's about having friends to tell. Lock and load, rock and roll, break and leg. <laughs> Thanks. And talk to you next Fizzle Friday.